So, cheers! What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of Hospitality Secrets Podcast. Paul Sfurlia here, and today we are at the third episode of the second season of Hospitality Secrets Podcast, the, the second season where we talk more uh, with other persons from the hospitality industry. We talk with, uh, I would, I like to invite persons who inspired me, he inspired me a lot, who, who I like to, to, ask a few questions to squeeze some nice information that can help everybody during these uh, crazy times that are uh, happening. And I'm super excited today to announce one of the good friends of mine. Uh, his name is Tim Judge. And uh, what I liked uh, about Tim first time when I met him a few years ago, I remember that it was uh, after me winning a world class in Romania, I have to deliver the, the trainings that I was telling in previous episodes. So at some point, he was the global brand ambassador for Bullet and he came to Romania and we, we, were, uh, we were delivering a few trainings together and those trainings were one of those trainings was one of the most uh, funniest training the, <laughs> that I ever delivered. And I liked I liked the uh, team because he really inspired me to deliver fun and different presentations. And I remember same time when I when I when I told in those trainings, he delivered one of the presentations in Bucharest standing uh, on a chair. So for me, it was very new. It was very strange. <laughs> I was looking at him. What is he doing? <laughs> he was standing on the chair and delivering a presentation. He, he always delivered uh, a, a bit different uh, presentations and he liked do, to do things differently. So, Tim, thank you for, uh, for this. I want to welcome you to the third episode of Hospitality Secrets. I'm, thank you for, for inviting me. I'm, I'm honored and humbled and I completely forgot about that chair. I didn't. <laughs> By the way, how's your mom? <laughs> She's good. She's good. She she had uh, she had coronavirus a few weeks ago, and now oh, no. yeah yeah now she's good. She's she, much better. She, yeah, it's much better. It wasn't so uh, so bad for her, and she's uh, still uh, saying hello. She asks about you <laughs> because <laughs> after plenty of jokes of mom jokes at my wedding when you came, you managed to meet just meet my mother. Yes, I did. <laughs> it was highly <laughs> highly embarrassing and awkward moment. <laughs> And she was filled with grace and humor and, and she's a truly lovely lady. So but those trainings, you were so right, those trainings were so much fun. Yeah. Uh, some of the favorite ones that I've done were with you. So though, I just wanted to tell that those trainings uh, inspired me to, to start thinking in delivering different ways, adding uh, lots of jokes, sense of humor to the trainings because I saw how important it is. Mm -hmm. So it, you were a true inspiration for me. Thank you very much for this. Oh, it, it was always fun with you. Tim, where are you now? Uh, I am in a shed at the bottom of my garden. So the... Um, at the start of lockdown, the lockdowns in in kind of April. So I had coronavirus all the way back in March, right at the beginning, and I had it pretty bad when I was living in Amsterdam. So when I recovered, I decided that I would come back home to where I grew up. So it's down in the southwest of England, a little place called Cornwall, which is filled with golden sand and palm trees and surf. It's like a little mini California. Nice. And why did you left though, that area? <laughs> uh, to go and explore the world. Like, ah. it's a very, like growing up here, it's very rural. Um, and I got itchy feet and I wanted to go and travel the world. I wanted to come to Romania and I wanted to visit New Zealand. And I wanted to go to, to America and Brazil. To India. To, I remember that you stepped also to India. And so you, you, you visit like a big part of the world, no? three countries how many so three countries Ooh. you walker <laughs> quite a few quite a few nice i've been very lucky the, the hospitality industry has allowed me to go and, and see so much of the world and meet so many amazing people and, and experience so many different cultures Nice, nice. So that's why I, I want to to ask you a few questions to to see from what what you learn from from this industry. But uh, first, I would like to start with the first question. I, I I always ask around seven questions. Let's see if I manage to ask all those questions. If not, I'm more than happy to to just chat with you to learn some yeah, new let's things. Go. 
First question would be what projects are you working in in this period? What are you working on? Apart from your mom? Um, yeah, yeah, except. <laughs> so I have to get the mom jokes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's allowed. It's allowed. So. Uh, it's, like, it's like an old habit. Um, so there's, I've got like a, a list of, th- of kind of four big projects that are going on right now for me. Oh, so you're not in holidays. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, so there's Healthy Hospital. Mm-hmm. Know all about so obviously with the, the global shutdown of the hospitality industry and everything that, that people have been going through this year the work that we do at healthy hospital to try and build a healthier happier industry has never been so so important so we've been really busy with healthy hospital this year trying to figure out how we can still help the industry when we can't see the industry now um Traditionally, we've just done lots of in-person trainings, but obviously we can't do that at the moment. So we've taken all of our training material and converted it into a digital format and built a built a web app. Nice. Anyone anywhere in the world can access all of our training at Healthy Hospital just through their phone or through their laptop. And what's the name of the app? Uh, so it's Healthy Hospital. So it's Healthy not Hospital. not on the web app store. It's not on Google Google Play Store. Uh, it's accessible through the Healthy Hospital website, so healthyhospital.com. Uh, we did that because if we had put it into like a traditional app, a it would have been three times more expensive to build. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a lot of money, and b we would have to charge people more for it. So every time someone used it, we would have to give Apple a little bit of money or Google a little bit of money, um, and we wanted to make the the app as low cost as possible so everybody could have access to it whether you're in a high-flying bartender in new york or you work in a, a bar in delhi super super nice so you you moved online with the with the whole so we launched that last month so that's ongoing um my calvados brand the avalon uh, so continuing our mission to be the world's most sustainable spirits brand and i think that sustainability it's a, it's a big word that we need to to be very aware in this period because we kind of forgot about sustainability with all those masks gloves and all the things that is happening we are people are more scared about the invisible thing than uh, the, the actually sustaining the planet yeah it's a, it's a giant monster that's looming up on us very very slowly um, but there, you know there are lots of good things that have happened this year in the sustainability world Uh, carbon dioxide emissions are down 7%, um, air pollution is down, biodiversity is, is returning to areas where it hasn't been for years, so there are positives. Um, but with Avalon, we, we're trying to kind of change the direction of the drinks industry because people are increasingly thinking or making decisions about uh, the food they eat, for example, based on, on sustainability, so you know, a lot less people Um, eating meat for environmental reasons if people eat organic so about this about uh, uh, you were saying about eating meat eating meat since we met like many years ago I, I don't eat meat so <laughs> you, you also yeah you also influenced that uh, way back few years ago and I, I kept it because for for my life for my body I, I, I function much better yeah same same it's been 22 years now for me I would never go back. But one thing we most people don't realize is the environmental impact. Well, they don't make choices on the environmental impact of what we drink. You know, we, we choose what we drink based on flavor and price generally, and also the influence from our friends. But in a, in a study in Japan, it showed that alcohol consumption was a major contributor to carbon dioxide emissions, much more so than food. So with Avalon, I didn't knew it. It's, it was a study in Japan that not many people are. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to create a brand that has a positive impact on the planet. So we looked at four metrics of um, carbon dioxide emissions, biodiversity loss, water usage, and pesticide and fertilizer use. Um, and tried to make a brand that overall, across all four of those, has a positive impact on the planet. So the planet is in a better place every time you buy a bottle of Avalon. Nice. And in how many countries we can find 
the currently in the UK, Ireland, Netherlands, Denmark, Spain, um, Australia, and Hong Kong. Um, we'll be in France next year. Uh, hopefully, hopefully in another couple of markets as well. So uh, next year we we don't uh, hope yet to find it in Romania or in smaller markets. Maybe just Amazon. Uh, it is on Amazon. We um, we don't do anything on Amazon. We've taken a conscious decision because of their awful sustainability, and we also want to support smaller businesses. So we like to work with specialist retail rather than uh, Amazon. Jeff Bezos doesn't need any more money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's already rich. <laughs> let's, let's spread the wealth around a little bit and support um, support some better e-commerce platforms. So there's that. Um, I recently also launched my own e-commerce platform, uh, working with my brother, which is mm. called Lasso. Lasso. So yeah, Lasso. L A S O U. And it's an e-commerce platform that's all about um, selling independently owned small drinks brands. No brands from the likes of Diageo, Pano Ricard, or William Grant, or Bacardi. It's all independent brands. Nice. And then I'm also at the very early stages of building a house. So. Nice. So you're been building. You you are actually putting uh, effort to build physically to build your house. So at the moment, talking, you know, engaging with an architect and solicitors around planning permission. The goal of kicking off in spring next year, the actual build. Super nice, super nice. So you are uh, very busy. Well, it's not much else to do at the moment, is there? Can't go out. Indeed, indeed. except uh, making podcasts and. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for accepting the podcast. Uh, having in mind how many things you are doing. <laughs> pleasure. So yeah, it's always nice to, to speak to you. To catch up. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So do, you are doing plenty of uh, of things, but. Uh, can you tell us a little bit what you did before? What's your history, a bit of your backstory in hospitality industry? We don't, if we we could stay like three months to talk about your history, but <laughs> like <Can't> shortly. <laughs> when this podcast is over, lockdown will be finished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we are at, at uh, 25 years old of uh, yeah, yeah. the old team. <laughs> um, so growing up, where I, where I am now. So growing up in Cornwall, um, it's a very tourist-driven region because it's you know surrounded by the ocean and beautiful beaches. So when you grow up down here, in the summer, everyone works in hospitality. There's loads and loads of jobs. Um, so you just get a job kind of cleaning tables or collecting glasses or something simple like that. Um, so I, I started there. My dad also works in hospitality worked in hospitality so he had a little coffee shop so when I was 14 I started working for him some say that was child labor but we'll let my father off um, and then just kind of a variety of, of hospitality jobs from flipping burgers to collecting glasses in a pub um, kind of assisting in a kitchen and and eventually tried to escape went to, to work with some special with special needs children in an amazing school for a couple of years which was fantastic but hospitality kept drawing me back so every time I would try and escape it would pull me back it's addictive <laughs> and eventually I found myself managing uh, a really beautiful venue in, in a little town called Falmouth it was right on the beach uh, and we one year we decided to do some cocktails in the venue um, as an innovation. And I, I just fell in love with making drinks. I fell in love with the, the, the stories behind the cocktails and the history and then the crafting of them. And it was a really nice break from kind of managing and then sometimes just jumping behind the bar and talking to the guests and being able to, to make some drinks for people. It was really fun. And then my mum, that was in 2005, and then my mum passed away um, suddenly that Christmas. And that was the real, real big change in my life. 
So my mum passing, I always say it was her final gift to me was to the, the freedom to go and travel. I was very close to my mum and before I, I never wanted to be kind of too far away or away for too long. Um, but when she passed, it was a very easy decision to go and, go and explore the world. Um, so I bought a one-way plane ticket to New Zealand um, with the goal of becoming a cocktail bartender. Like I'd really enjoyed doing it. So I was like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to try and get a job as a just making cocktails. And that, that landed me in New Zealand. And I, that's where it really where kind of my, my bartending career started, you could say. Started in a casino, in a, in a kind of nightclub style bar in the middle of a casino, which we would do hundreds of drinks each every night hundreds and hundreds it was you know three deep at the bar for about five hours whoa just, it was just just an amazing time but really really hard work but what that taught me was um, a really good work ethic and also how to work fast you know and how to be able to make drinks whilst talking to people rather than i'm making a drink and that's the only thing i can focus on it's like i can drink and entertain the guests at the same time I think that's this is a, like a, a crucial thing that uh, bartenders should learn how to make drinks and still entertain the guests and talk with them because usually what happens and I see it all the time when somebody a bartender starts to make a drink or a martini or something they are like and completely ignore which is hurtful for me because I I'm, I like always because I think that the purpose of of bartending or everything we do it's entertaining and engaging the guests Absolutely, you're exactly right there. So it's, you know, it's going back to the, the essence of hospitality or the question of what is hospitality. And, <laughs> exactly. And not the drink that you make, it's how you make people feel. You know, so you have to be able to make drinks whilst making people feel good, making people happy or giving people the feeling that they're looking for, you know, because some people come into the bar and they just want to drown their sorrows. You know, they don't really want to engage in conversation. They, they just want to drink because they've had a bad day. Other people want to flirt with you. Other people want, want to joke with you. Other people want to engage you in a, a deep political conversation. And you've got to be able to do all of this whilst making the drink. You know, the making of the drink is not the hospitality. That, that's not your job. It's just something you do. Your job is to give people the feelings that they're looking for. Nice, nice. After New Zealand, Uh, so I did New Zealand for four years. That's where I kind of got involved in cocktail competitions. Um, so I represented New Zealand at the, the greatest cocktail competition the world has ever seen, um, which is the 42 Below Cocktail World Cup. Um, just a truly, truly amazing competition where you'd have to make a drip, make a cosmopolitan whilst doing a bungee jump. Um, you had a, they flew you to the top of a mountain in a helicopter and dropped you on top of the ice in the snow and then you had like a mystery box challenge um, they put you in these crazy boats that spin 360 degrees down a river and you had to try and make cocktails whilst in the boat it was just it was crazy um, next but, level of bartending and it was just so much fun and the community that was built there um, was just and everyone that ever um, was part of that competition would return in a heartbeat to do it again It was so good but then a really big change in my life and, and a really big change in kind of the way i view hospitality was i moved from new zealand to india um, i got the opportunity to work at one of the world's great hotels which is the taj mahal palace in mumbai oh you worked there at the taj mahal oh nice um and the reason i went there was that Living in New Zealand in 2008, I'd watched the, the global news of the terrorist attacks in Mumbai and watched as the Pakistani terrorists had um, held the city hostage. Essentially. And in, at the, ho the hotel was the kind of the center, center of the, the, the raid. Um, and hearing the stories about how the staff in the hotel had risked their lives to save the guests in the hotel. Oh, that's hospitality. And over 30 of them had died. For me, seeing them like I'm thinking that hospitality is giving everybody a glass of water and a napkin <laughs> at the bar, and there's here's 
here's people in India who are earning 50 pounds a month or like 50 euros a month and they're jumping in front of bullets to save their guests I'm like my like I'm just playing around at the side I want to go and meet these people and I want to learn hospitality from them that's true hospitality I mean in, the, in, in a real world uh, our guest is our god or how it's that uh, saying in, in uh, Hindi yeah. yeah exactly it's it's um, the guest is king you know they say in Indonesia and so yeah so I left I left the, the beautiful tranquility and the calm and the greenness of New Zealand and landed in Mumbai at the noisiest place I've ever been in my life and the smelliest place I've ever been in my life and the dirtiest place I've ever been in my life and went yeah. can I go back? <laughs> I, I changed my mind <laughs> um, but it was an amazing experience I spent three years in India traveling the country meeting some of the most amazing people um, and learning hospitality from from Indians and for me their, their form of hospitality is true hospitality because it comes from the heart you know it's not about the food or the drink it's about making sure people are happy and have what they need and, and feel comfortable and feel safe nice In India it's on my bucket list oh, it's the most it's the most insane amazing incredible infuriating mesmerizing difficult place you'll ever go sounds great sounds like a challenge <laughs> yeah for me it's for me i like places that are memorable and extreme you know that that trigger a response like there are lots of places i've been which are so bland and so comfortable and easy that you, they're just forgettable but in india you have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and big challenges and constant barrage on the senses but it means that it's always an experience and memorable and remarkable like memorable experience yeah. exactly it's, it's incredible place. so after india uh so after india three years in india and then uh for two of those years in india i was working with yajo as the first um reserve brand ambassador for india Um, then I jumped over from the subcontinent. And you you helped uh, you helped hosted uh, hosting the world class in India that year, no? Yeah, my first day at Diageo was, was them sitting me down and telling me that I'd be the host brand ambassador for world class. And I had six months. I had six months to plan and execute um, the first world class in India. Wow! And then host the global finals. So it was uh, an insane six months. But you you managed to do it. We we just about got it. It was one of my favorite world classes because it was probably the, with the exception of the boat, it was the most difficult one. You know, everything was a challenge, everything was difficult, but we managed we managed it, and everyone had an amazing time. And I you know I have lots and lots of friends still from that world class. Um, and then I, I left India and joined Diageo Africa team. So became the reserve ambassador for Sub-Saharan Africa, which again was an amazing experience to travel all across the African continent, which is just incredible. Uh, and experience a whole different type of hospitality where it's much more about show and bling. You know, from from Nigeria to Kenya to Botswana and Uganda. So, and where where you were living? I was living in London. So I, I relocated to. Oh, it was the first time I'd ever lived in London actually. Um, I was living in London, being all cool and trendy in uh, Bethnal Green. And then from from the Africa job, promoted to the global ambassador for bullets, which is when we met. And did that for a few years and then it all came crashing down in 2016. I think revolves into your next question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The the next question because I I know what where where we're going. The next question is what was the struggle that uh, that made you start the journey that you are on now with uh, with Avalon and Healthy Ospo and, and everything that you are doing what was the the hard thing that made you start the journey so 
I was, I had that, that job, the global brand ambassador, right? And I was traveling the world. Um, it's more than I'd ever traveled in my life. I was traveling maybe 250 days of the year. Wow. I, I would like to, to talk here because most of the people will say that it's a dream job. It's the best job that you can have. But what's that? I, I, you are telling this at the struggle part. So, I'm... so yeah, you, when, you, when you see a global ambassador, when they come into your bar or, or you meet them somewhere, you're seeing them for a very time. You're seeing them for the, the most fun part of, that, of what they do. And... You see them for one night and they have to do that every night or five nights a week. Um, you know, so that and there are lots of good sides to it, you know. It took me to 60 countries. I got to meet amazing people like yourself, uh, have amazing experiences, get up to some crazy stuff, you know, and, and make some real treasured memories and friends. But when you're not kind of unsure your what people don't see these global ambassador roles is the, the complete lack of sleep because you're constantly jet lagged from traveling so much um, your your sleep is just terrible and when you're not sleeping properly you don't feel good right? your brain starts to go your body starts to go then when it comes to food because you're traveling for 200 plus days of the year it becomes difficult to eat well you, most of your food will come from restaurants maybe from room service or snacks on the go um, and it's not the most it's not the healthiest food you know the healthiest food is always food that we cook for ourselves um, exercise is, becomes a real difficult thing to do because you're so tired a lot of the time um, and because you're traveling so much it gets hard to get into a routine and I personally am not the self most self-motivated person when it comes to kind of like working out in a hotel room or going to a gym for me, the exercise I like to do is to go outside. I want to combine being outside in nature with, with getting sweaty. Um, and what was, I, what was I talking about? About the struggle, the struggle. Of, and uh, you are saying now about the, the brand ambassador, uh, shiny things, but people don't know about the struggle that's behind the, the yeah, role so of... I'm getting so old. Yeah, yeah, I think this happens. <laughs> We're getting old and then we die. So Yeah. And then there's the loneliness, right? It's you're traveling so much and you're seeing new people almost all of the time. So you're constantly having to make these like little micro friendships with people. Mm. Superficial connections. Yeah. And you know, it's constant and it, it takes a lot of energy, right? Because you can't really be yourself. Everyone when they when you meet a, a global brand ambassador. You're expecting someone who is super happy, excited, smart, bubbly. Um, when inside, they're just exhausted, tired, lonely, and you can never be your true self. So you, and you don't get all of the benefits of a small, close-knit circle of friends, which is what we really need as humans, right? We need really good friends that we see on a regular basis. So that, that happens. And then you've got a lot of drinking on top of that. You know, you're constantly having to do market visits and go to bars and you can't turn up and go, oh, sorry, I'm not, I'm not really drinking tonight. And for some reason, bartenders always want to do shots with whiskey ambassadors. Like, I know what you want. You want a shot of bullet. And I was like, no, I don't. But <laughs> I always, everybody gives me shots of bullet. <laughs> I had hundreds. Oh, and I'm like, you, no, I don't want that. Um, and then for some reason, like, the 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 habit that the bartenders have of giving you a shot as you leave you're like i don't understand this right i'm leaving your venue are you trying to get me fucked up before i go to the next venue because if it was about hospitality we would have a welcome drink <laughs> or give, if it was one give the me road, that shot when i come <laughs> or if it's one for the road it's a drink i take away with me to enjoy on my journey to the next place not you know, it just, it seems a bit a bit messy. And, and I felt obliged to kind of say no. So I always, always say yes, brother. Um, and I've been doing this job for like six years, this constant travel and ambassador role. And, and I'll be the first to admit that I didn't manage it very well, personally. You know, there were lots of things that I could have done better to, to manage my situation. And it was... In 2016, at the Athens Bar Show, when it all kind of came crashing down and, and changed my life, 
So I'd had a really heavy, big year of travel and reached Athens and some other, some personal stuff was going on in my life at the time as well. Um, and a change of boss at work. So work was really bad. My personal life was really bad. It's just in a really, really awful situation. And that combined with um, my lifelong battle with depression. I was first diagnosed with depression at the age of 16. Um, all of that with the drinking on top. Um, after my, my presentation to the bartenders at the bar show, I walked back to my, my hotel room and tried to commit suicide. That was the that was a real kind of turning point, as you can imagine, a turning point in my life. Um, I got through that night and started to talk publicly about my struggles um, with my mental health and, and with the job and the industry. You know, this, this industry of excess and uh, this macho kind of. Not many people did it talking about the, the excesses, and you you had some courage to step up and talk about your vulnerabilities and put your life out there not i don't know if it was courage it was i mean initially i i think the the thoughts going through my head were around trying to like a survival so trying to get some nice messages of love and support from people because i was on my own in a hotel room in athens and no one knew um that would make me feel better you know if lots of people wrote nice things then It might help me get through this phase, um, and that that certainly happened. You know, I got hundreds of messages and, and comments on the post. But what really changed my life was all of the messages I got in private from people, telling me their stories of struggle and of uh, you know mental health problems, physical health problems, problems with the industry, with their drinking. You know, from friends, from from peers, from complete strangers, from other bartenders. And it really kind of set me thinking. It's like, if I know that, if I now know that all of these people are struggling and yet no one in the industry is doing anything about this. You know, there was hardly any health amounts. Like Claire Warner was doing some stuff. It was great. Camille Vidal was doing a little bit, but there was no kind of concerted effort to try and, and help create a better industry so I was just like well if I know this this is from what kind of man am I going to would I be if I just turn my back on the industry and I just turn my back on all of these people who are struggling and and walk away and I you know I would just be an asshole because I would have left them all without you know knowing that they needed help so it was an easy decision to try and do something about it so I had seven months of, of sick leave from Diageo and that was the, the time to really help me think about what I was going to do and how I was going to move forward. Um, and Healthy Hospital was born from there out of a, a passion to, to help those that struggle in the industry with their health and, and help the industry become a healthier place for everyone to work. So nice, so nice. And that, was, um, that was really kind of it. And then whilst, to get on to the story of Avalyn, so whilst kind of working on Healthy Hospital, Um, my very, very good friend, I call her my sister, um, even though we're not related. Um, Stephanie, Stephanie Jordan, who you know very well. Yeah, yeah. The global tanker ambassador at the time. So she left Diageo at a similar time to me and set up her own very sex successful consultancy. Mm. But we kept in touch and we kept talking and, you know, and she was doing her consultancy. I was doing Healthy Hospo, but we, we both had a kind of burning passion to do a brand because we'd spent... Well, Stephanie spent all of her working career at Diageo up until then working on brands and I had spent a good chunk of my career building. You had the, you had the knowledge. You had the knowledge. Had some knowledge. We had a little bit. Probably a dangerous amount of knowledge. To, thinking we knew enough to do it um, to give us the, the confidence to do it. And then when we started realizing that we know nothing at all. Um, but we sat down to get, you know, we had a lot of chats and we, we wanted to do something Uh, it was a bit different, you know. We'd seen lots of friends go off and start brands in categories because they liked that category, or they wanted to, or they saw that that category was in growth, or there was an opportunity within that category. Um, and we came at, at it from a very different angle. We didn't want to do. We wanted to have real purpose behind what we did, and we said that 
you know, we don't just want to build a brand for the sake of having a brand. We've seen way too much of that. Uh, we want a brand that makes a real difference. Um, it's not for us to be cool and show off to our mates that we, we've got an alcohol brand or for us to get free drinks. It, it's to make a real difference. Um, so we sat down and, and my big passion is sustainability. You know, so I grew up in the country. I constantly campaigned for, for sustainable issues. I haven't eaten meat in 22 years for environmental reasons. So for me, it was very important that if we we're going to do a brand, sustainability had to be one of the core aspects to it. And for Stephanie, for her, it's about nature. She grew up in France, in Burgundy, and her father is a winemaker. So she grew up in a, in, a, in a winery, in a vineyard. And so for her, like terroir and nature is is super important and looking after the land, because um, that's that's her background and where she grew up. So we sat down, we were talking about this, and so the idea we came up with, it was, creating the world's most sustainable drinks brand or spirits brand. That was that was the goal and the mission that drove everything. So starting with that, the only thing we knew is that we weren't going to do a gin. <laughs> Why not a gin? Everybody's doing a gin. That's right, because there's too much fucking gin in the world. There's a, like, there's a lot of good gin brands. And there's a lot of bad gin brands. The world does not need any more gin brands. For sure. Um, we said no gin. That's it. Um, but let's try and find out. Well, let's try and create the, the world's most sustainable drinks brand, the spirits brand. So the, because we started with this blank sheet of paper, just with this one one uh, line on it, it meant we could go right back to the beginning of production. So we could go back and ask ask the question which no one else is, is asking, which is from an environmental point of view, what is the best mater raw material to make alcohol from? That's a so good you, question aside flavor and if you put aside costs and all those other things just purely from a sustainability point of view what is the best? so we looked at carbon dioxide emissions we looked at um, biodiversity loss we looked at water usage and we looked at pesticides and fertilizers um, and we looked at kind of cereal grains and we looked at agave we looked at sugarcane and we looked at fruits and what we came up with is the apples, hands down, are the best raw material to make alcohol. Nice, nice Just way of choosing the the. I didn't thought about this of choosing the the the, the main. Uh, it was it was just a really simple question to ask, and you know it's about asking the right questions to get the answers. Um. So then when we, when we had apples. Then it was like, well, that was easy because we know where the best apple brandy in the world comes from. And it all comes from Normandy in France. So it was obvious to us that we had to make a Calvados. And then, so we went to, we started investigating the category. And then you realize that no one is doing anything in Calvados. It's the world's most boring category. It's all old fashioned producers with very dated products um, and really marketing that's stuck in the kind of 90s yet incredible liquid in the bottle and this this underlying sustainability which covers the whole category so that there was an amazing opportunity to take Calvados and do something fresh and young and exciting with it with and, this. You, and you did it you invested a lot in the in the beginning of the of the Avalon all my money all well, everything all in like at the back of the casino, all in. So, yeah, like in the casino, all in on uh, 13th red, <laughs> like roulette. All in on apples. So probably green or red, I don't mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, we launched in June 2019. So we're about a year and a half old now. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, that's the story of Healthy Hospital and Avalon. Nice story, nice story. And that's some, uh, some struggle which... A big journey. You need a struggle to to start to uh, a big journey. I, I don't. I don't think you necessarily need a struggle. I don't believe that everyone needs to reach rock bottom like I did to be able to kind of bounce back up. Um, but one thing that my journey has taught me, and I would like to pass on, uh, is the importance of being true to yourself. Because when I was working at the Agio. Yes, I had a great job 
and yes, it was fun and at times, and it gave me amazing experiences. I was always impersonating. I was always an impersonator. I was never myself. I was never true. You know, I would rock up. You know, I would wear suits and I would drink bourbon. You know, and I would act, try and act this luxury way. You know, and, and be all fancy. And then when I stopped having that job, I went back to who I was as a person. And, you know, I live in sportswear, you know, trainers and hoodies. And you found yourself when you when you. Oh, and I also found two companies that really represent who I am as a person. You know, and both Healthy Hospo and Avalen are the result of me being very true to myself. I think that for everyone listening, if there's one piece of advice I can give for everyone. It's, it's really try and be true to yourself and be honest with yourself. You know, for me, me being true to me is about my passion for sustainability and trying to leave a better world for, for your son and for the children of the future. And the other part of me is, is the love of hospitality and wanting to make people feel better, feel happier, and that's the healthy hospital, you know. So both of them rep represent me, but different sides of me. And just because you manage to be true to yourself, yeah. and that mm -hmm. super nice, super nice uh, advice for the for the listeners. So uh, stay true to yourself if you if you you you. And uh, as I see it, of being true to yourself, I discover myself mostly when I was traveling alone. Uh, I, I, I traveled a lot alone and uh, I started going deeper and deeper into myself and ask myself to discover myself, to, to explore actually deeper because when I'm with somebody, it's hard to stay outside and talk and chat. But when I'm alone, I'm, I'm going deeper and deeper and I try to discover myself because to stay true to yourself first, you have to discover yourself. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and traveling on your own is a, is a great way to do that because you you spend a huge amount of time alone. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. By people. So oh, yeah. Uh, I have a, the, the fourth question would be about uh, if you have uh, one or more persons, guide, teacher, mentor, tell tell whatever you want to tell it that inspired you to learn something meaningful in the in the industry and what you learn from from them or from him or her. Yeah, I thought about this, and there's lots, you know, everyone you meet teaches you something. Um, and there are lots of people that really taught me a lot um, about hospitality. And you know, from, from my first job, as I remember, I worked in a, in a little takeaway restaurant in a holiday village, in a holiday camp. And there was this grumpy old woman called June who ran the place. Um, and she was, you know, she was very very strict but she taught me a lot you know she taught me a lot about timekeeping and about hard work and cleanliness and then there's people like Jamie Lawton who who was kind of my first cocktail mentor who taught me took me under my his wing taught me all about uh, the art of making cocktails and flavor and there's people like Jacob Breyers who's just a constant inspiration from day to day of, of how to be an amazing human being and to live life um, but I think the people that taught me the most when it comes to hospitality uh, are the bartenders that I met at the Taj Mahal Palace mm. about earlier. You know, turning up there and meeting people who have who earn so little and have so little and are treated quite often with so little respect. Work with such humility and such passion such pure hospitality running through their hearts it was it was truly humbling to go and spend some time a small amount of time working in their company so those those bartenders i, I will uh, i will do some research on the taj mahal hotel to see a bit uh... one of the most beautiful hotels you could ever ever imagine nice. uh, the great thing about indian hotels is um they have a, a huge number of, of former royal palaces in India. Um, and the Taj Hotel group have converted uh, a number of them into hotels. So the, the level of opulence, uh, of like kind of old fashioned historical opulence um, 
is just on another level. And some of the places are just incredible. Nice, nice. Super, super. Thank you very much. So these are the people who inspired you a lot during your, your journey in, in the hospitality industry. And I think every... Yes, every Of course. I'm sorry. I should have... Oh, yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Smile. The thing with the smile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I liked it. I liked it. This was like a thing that I, I like to do. And actually... Uh, I already told this in in this uh, in this podcast. The thing with the smile on my hand, it wasn't my idea actually. It was David Rios' idea at the national finals. I I had the uh, wrote and I don't have to say written <laughs> something on my hand. And then when I was pouring, he was seeing he was looking there because I had this strange pour. And he, he at the end he came to me and said, "Why do you don't write there smile judges or something?" And I said, "Ah, nice." And that was signature. Yeah, I, re- was... I remember it very well. It was <laughs> one of the most memorable. It was one of the most memorable moments of that world class. Woohoo! Like I worked a lot of world classes, um, and there were always kind of like little moments from each one. Like I remember in Rio when uh, Tim Phillips, who won overall, did his his resurrection uh, flip, making the egg disappear. Making the cocktail and watching like Manabu Ataki's face when he first saw it, he just could not believe what Tim had done. And, you know, it, and little moments like that. I uh, still have that video. I have that video on my laptop with uh, with Tim Phillips, and I'm showing that video to persons when my, when I'm talking about the wow effect. That was yeah. a wow effect. <laughs> yeah, and then people like Emil Areng from uh, Sweden. And on the boat, on the boat when we did it in the Mediterranean, and it's like half past midnight. Everyone had started at seven in the morning. Everyone's exhausted. It's been 40 degrees centigrade all day. Super hot. I'm having to mop down Salvatore Calabresi's brow with a tea towel. And he's like the last bartender on, and it's like a mystery box challenge. And he does this whole thing about it's called uh, last orders or something. Or, And it's him telling the story of a nightclub, and it's like, and three Americans come along, and that's like, and he pours some some bullet, and then, and here's Dale DeGroff on his own, and put Dale DeGroff's bitters, and and like just creating this amazing, hilarious story around this drink, and when everyone is watching and everyone is exhausted, just to finish the day with everybody laughing. It's just the perfect way to finish, and it, there's like little moments like that 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 you remember. That are memorable, yeah, yeah. This is what I'm I'm very obsessed with uh, with uh, memorable hospitality experiences. I think this is the main the main tagline of this podcast. How can we create memorable hospitality experiences? What's the secret sauce for for those things? Yeah, I, absolutely. It's it's the the thing we should all be seeking every time every. Every guest comes into our bar. We have an opportunity to create a memory for them. Um, so, how do we choose to to create that memory for them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It could be a short-lasting memory, or it could be a, a, a lifelong-lasting memory. Yeah, there, there were a few that are very memorable. Definitely. So, regarding this, uh, what are some big lessons that you learned from hospitality industry? Uh, one is the how to work hard. Um, hospitality is is hard work, um, and you're on your feet all time, you know, and you can't stop. Um, so, so that is like a real key one. And the ability to talk to people is really important. I was very shy as a child. You know, when I had hair, it was, it was bright orange. Um, And that that is a kind of recipe for getting bullied when you're at school. So I, you know, I had a, a mixed school experience. I enjoyed it for the main, but I did get bullied quite a bit. And I didn't have. So when I went to I went to an all boys school to start. Um, so it was only at the end of the school that we had girls come in. So I was really shy around girls, not very confident. So hospitality really gave me a confidence to talk to people. It's funny how. How kind of having three feet of bar 
between you and, and somebody else and having a job where you have to talk to them you're forced to engage with someone really can um, change everything it's funny like if i go out today and i go to a bar on my own i'm still too shy to talk to a girl but if i'm behind the bar and a girl comes in no problem whatsoever. i will flirt like crazy yeah yeah because it's the the job that he's doing yeah so yeah. this you learn you learn how to how to socialize Yeah, I think so. And also how to talk to different people, um, which I think is a key skill that's undervalued in hospitality. Um, you know, I worked in, in enough venues now and had a different clientele, you know, everyone from like we used to have people come into the Taj Mahal Palace Hotel because it was such an iconic, important building in India. They would travel across the country come to Mumbai and when they come to Mumbai one of the buildings they had to visit was the, the hotel I remember that you'd have like groups of men coming in maybe like four or five men and then they would order one coke <laughs> because that's that's all they could afford but for them the experience of coming into the hotel was so important so they would travel halfway across the country you know and me here who am I to to not serve them or to mock them or throw them out just because, you know, security will come and go like, oh, they can't be in here. I'm like, these people have traveled from so far. And they deserve to have this experience as much as anyone else deserves to have this experience. Wow, that's nice because usually what's happening a lot, uh, bartenders and mostly waiters are, are judging people according to how much they spend, how much they order. So I saw this a lot. And I think in all the countries it's happening a lot. If If he's buying just a Coke, you're like, oh, here you go. Exactly, because it, people are not realizing what they're selling. Like, you're not selling the Coke. You're selling the experience. That's what you're selling. You're, you're selling the memory. The Coke exactly, is yeah, yeah. And, and, and when we understand this, we are changing from a, a service-based industry to an experience-based industry. It's one thing Tom Bullard always told me, you know, for me, it's not the drinks industry, it's a relationship industry. Nice. Very nice. Building those relationships. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, and I've also served, I've made drinks for Obama. For? Obama. He was, he was a president sometime back. Probably don't uh, know. The guy from America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, maybe I heard about him. Before they got the douchebag. Um... <laughs> So, you know, and having, an, I didn't get to talk to him, unfortunately, but, um, you know, and having a, a huge range of customers taught me how to to change how I talk to people, you know, depending on, on who I'm talking to. So, you know, you're talking to the young teenage girls, or you have to talk very differently to how you talk to a 60-year-old CEO. So being able to kind of moderate your, your conversation style according to the person you're, you're talking to. That's good. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. So you, you learned a lot from the hospitality industry. I mean, you, you, you also travel, you combine this with uh, traveling from different, learning from cultures and hospitality from other cultures, which sounds great. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I've experienced a lot of, of different cultures. The only and continent I haven't been to is Antarctica. So I need to go to the bar um, at the Antarctic Research Station. Near the penguins. <laughs> um, mojito without ice, please. <laughs> There's plenty of ice here. <laughs> From my own ice. <laughs> From the jacket. <laughs> And from from the big lessons that you you learn, what advice can you give to the people who are listening, in order to help them to offer remarkable or memorable experiences to their guests? How? What's that thing that they can do? Uh, you've been I'm memorable for me trying to think of a funny answer but I can't <laughs> <laughs> you can't be funny all the time <laughs> you, you've been mem- you've been memorable for me for that simple thing of, of staying standing on the chair all the training yeah. or for jokes how do you have a, a secret recipe to create these memorable uh, no, scenarios I, 
I think for me, one of the saddest, the saddest things about getting older is that you lose the joy and, and playfulness of, of, of being a child. Mm. When we're children, we find joy in everything. We can find joy in cardboard boxes. We can find joy in standing on chairs and sliding on the floor and running around. And then as we get older, we we lose a lot of that joy. You know, we we lose the ability to find wonder in everyday things. So I think that reconnecting with that and not being afraid to be a bit silly at times. If it makes other people happy, you know, because it's fun and it's it makes me happy and it makes other people laugh and smile and, and happy. I think that's really important. There is a nice quote that I like a lot and I'm using uh, in the last uh, period. Uh, it says that uh, it's hard not to feel happy when you make someone smile, as you Absolutely. said. Yeah. Absolutely. Just the aspect of smiling brings not only other people joy, it brings yourself joy too. Yeah, and the first victim is yourself. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's like it's putting putting the phone down and finding that wonder again in things. You know, oh. whatever and, and whatever. How I, like, how I like this, how I like this because I saw it and many people losing the wonder. I mean, everything, it's okay. It not, it's not uh, amaze me. And, and nothing amazed me anymore. Nothing impressed me anymore. So you are taking that, that path of being unimpressed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, sometimes it seems almost cool to be unimpressed with things, you know. It's, I see it. There's a, there's a Facebook group with the, the LBA, the London Bartenders Association. And it's a very important Facebook group for, for the community in London. But I see all too often like young bartenders coming on there, very excited and, and full of that wonder, you know, They're maybe 19, 18, 19, excited in the industry, asking questions. And then I see the older bartender, like the experience, the, the kind of stalwarts who have been around the block a bit, kind of just shitting on them or laughing at them or taking the piss out of them. It's like, These people are excited for exactly the same reason you were excited when you were a young bartender. So why are you like doing this? Why are we not embracing them and, and building their excitement and carrying it on? Uh, and that's that's strange because uh, I I had a, a Facebook group with Romanian bartenders. We were like 2000 at some point. And uh, this was what happened a lot. The new bartenders came and tried to post and the older bartenders were pissing on them. And I was so I was so frustrated about this because I didn't know why. Why is the, the ego of the bartender so big? I don't think it's just bartenders. I think it's a, it's a human nature thing. If you look at the way that generations are treated. Um, so every generation mocks every other generation, you know, mm -hmm. so it kind of goes down the scale so baby boomers will mock gen x who will mock gen y who will mock gen z who will mock gen millennials um, you know and it, it's yeah everyone who's old in baby boomers wants to be a millennial because they all want their youth back so maybe it's like this kind of just a little bit of bitterness of going like oh, i'm fucking old i want to be young so i'm gonna hate the young people They don't know how good they've got it. They, they do not appreciate what they have. If I would have what they they are having now, if I had in in the my my time what they are having now, yeah. But the truth is that the, the the young people today, the millennials and even younger, they are the worst off generation. They are the poorest generation that we can imagine because not only are they my generation was the first generation to be poorer than the previous one and it just has carried on you know so not only is it the hardest time for a long time for them to find jobs to build a career to build a stable family to own a house all the things that my parents took for granted like my parents owned a house at 20. you know and when i was born they had two houses had a house and two cars maybe three cars had all this at 25 and today and they were just a normal family there wasn't like some sort of 
you know, wasn't, they weren't born to millionaires. But today it's a real struggle for young people. Not only that, they're also the ones who are facing this environmental catastrophe that's happening. And they're the ones that are going to have to spend their entire grown lives living through. And they will they will pay the price. Yeah, they'll pay the price of, of my father's generation, my generation, um, and all the shit that we've done to the planet. Because, you know, it's easy to look back and, and blame the, the distant past. Like, oh, this all started in the Victorian times and it's the Victorians that did this. Thing. Almost all of the emissions that we have today have been released in the last 30 years. So we are the, the ones who did it. We cannot blame the... the... So, it's, um, so we should flip on its head, you know, the young, young people of today are the ones who are the most vulnerable. They're the ones that we should be helping to fix the mess that we created. Nice. I shall get off my soapbox now and stop ranting about... <laughs> ask me a silly question. Last silly question. The silliest question that I can ask is uh, can you tell us a secret about you that not many people know? Because we are at Hospitality Secrets. Something that you, you didn't tell to many people. Can be silly, can be serious. Um, ooh, so many. So, so. You don't need to share them all. I mean, you can share just one or two. <laughs> Should we do a silly one? It's up to you. It's okay. With, I'm okay with silly one. You already shared a few like secrets that uh, not too many yeah. people know knows about you. So when I uh, I won the Appleton Estates competition and went to Jamaica um, on a trip, it was an amazing trip. But at, at the end of the, it was it was very drunk. But the end of the trip, they, or near the end of the trip, they moved us to a resort on the eastern side of Jamaica called Hedonism 2. Um, so the east coast is full of resorts. So Hedonism 2 is the is the sex resort. Oh. So they put they put the four four bartenders um, up in a sex resort. So one half of the one half of the resort, you're allowed to wear clothes. In the other half of the resort, you have to be partnering. Wow, where is that? Can you give me the address? <laughs> uh, I had a girlfriend at the time and she got quite annoyed that we were staying here. Because in her mind, it's full of like beautiful people having orgies all of the time. And then when you get there, you realize what it really is, is very respectable people from America, the UK and Germany like doctors and teachers who, who live lives where they're, they're judged on everything they do. They come to this place by maybe maybe once a year and just get butt naked and fuck everything. With no judgment and no, no one telling the story when they get back home. So you've got lots of old fat people just having sex everywhere. Um, so we, we got to stay there. And obviously like four young bartenders from New Zealand So you had sex with fat? It was like fresh meat. But one of the things that we had to do was, so they had a nightclub um, that was attached to a swimming pool. So in the nightclub, you had windows that looked into the swimming pool. So one of the challenges was on a Saturday night when the club is full, you had to take all your clothes off, jump in the swimming pool, and then swim down past to the window and press your butt against the window and swim back up. And not get caught. <laughs> so that was a nice prize, huh? Yes. Competitions are not offering that that kind of prize anymore. I don't know what's happening. That was a crazy trip. I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> The last night. Yeah, I and I I'm surprised I didn't get alcohol poisoning from that trip. <laughs> wow, wow, wow! <laughs> so, Tim, we're uh, one hour uh, already. Amazing! I can. Should we carry on? <laughs> yeah, we can carry on. I I will stop the the recording and we we can carry on. 
I, I want to thank you for uh, for uh, accepting the this invitation. I'm I'm really grateful that you you came to share a few thoughts with uh, with us. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's uh, you know I I've been to Romania enough times that I have a very soft spot in my heart for for Romania and for its bartenders. So maybe maybe we'll meet again after all the restrictions are over for sure we will Yeah, so maybe about it for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they will uh, they will stop the restrictions. So soon, team... soon. we're going to be positive for 2021. <laughs> going to be a good year. For sure, for sure. If it, if it won't be good, we will make it good. So I have exactly. no it's, it's It's that old kind of stoic philosophy of control the controllable. You know, if you can't control something, such as the coronavirus, then what you can control is your response to it. Yeah. And life is full of challenges. You know, you will go through your entire life with challenges placed in your way. That you have to overcome and this is just another one of those challenges super think about it when you tell your grandkids how you got through the plague i survived <laughs> i will tell and i will tell dominic after a few years i survived the plague i was it was hard but it was hard but you know there's there's learning and there's opportunity and there's happy moments to be mm -hmm. found even in the most difficult of times you know, even in the middle of World War II, the Germans and British soldiers came out to play football on Christmas Day and found a, a little bit of, of magic and happiness in the middle of a world war. So there's always an opportunity. Thank you very much for the words. Very, very inspiring. That's why I, I invited you. You are an inspiration. Thank you very much, Tim, for, uh, for being a guest in this, uh, in this podcast. It's been, been my pleasure. If you ever need anyone else to, to fill some time, please ask me. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll talk in, in a few episodes. We'll see, we'll see. I, I'm thinking about doing some special series of, uh, of this podcast, but now I'm, I'm systemizing this uh, way of doing it and then we'll see. So, Tim, thank you very much for, uh, for staying. As for the listeners, thank you also for, uh, for being together with us and, and hearing Tim, uh, Tim Judge uh, and uh, his backstory and his lessons and he, what he shared. So if you like this, you can uh, subscribe on all the platforms that you can think of from Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Anchor. So you can find this uh, this. Uh, podcast everywhere and subscribe because we will come every single week with a new guest with uh, some new stories and with some new lessons from the hospitality industry that's it for today i hope it was useful powers for here thank you very much for staying with us cheers <laughs>